0: Welcome back to the 411J Show. Glad you're here. Today's guest is Dr. Ronald Stair. Now, you might not know Ron, but this guy has been in the industry longer than I've been alive. He's the CEO and founder of Creative Plan Design. He's done so much in his career to help our industry, and his experience is something that we can all learn from. And probably the most fascinating part of the discussion we had today was just How easy it is for anyone to jump into the TPA space and how he thinks that really should change. There needs to be some sort of certification, licensing. Kind of got me thinking, he's got a good point there. So enjoy the show today. Reach out, connect with Ron and the rest of his team. If you're back east, you know, his office is right in Long Island. Uh, They do a great job and they know their stuff. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks for sticking around. All right, everybody, welcome back to the 410J Show. I'm so pumped today because we have a special guest that I don't even know very well yet, but I've heard a lot about him, and the more I've researched him, I've been just so amazed because he's been in this industry longer than I've been alive. So, a lot to learn today. (laughs) We've got with us Ronald Stare, he goes by Ron, if that's okay, Ron. And he's the CEO of Creative Plan Design. So, Ron, Give us, your, give us your origin story. Tell us a little bit how you ended up in this industry, why you, why you stuck around and what, what you enjoy about it.
1: Well, I wanted nothing to do with it initially, but I had an undergraduate math teacher that made us take a corresponding actuarial exam each semester if there was one. So when I finished my bachelor's, I had four parts. When I started grad school, I didn't wanna be a teaching assistant because I have no patience to teach. Went to work at an actuarial firm ERISA came out, and the guy that owned the firm threw it on my desk and said, learn this. <laughs>
0: nice.
1: And that nice. was the start of it. Uh, I did this all through grad school, left for one semester at the end of when I finished my doctorate. I finished one semester, taught nuclear medicine for a semester, realized I still hated teaching, called the, uh, the former owner up. I said, can I please come back? He said, yes, but only if you buy the place. And that was in 1979.
0: Nice. So the timing was just kind of all came together for you. You know, Interesting.
1: He, was, he was in that, in that realm of, uh, he was a general agent for an insurance company, which managed most pension plans at that time. And the insurance company had mandatory retirement at 65. So he left and took off and actually went and started another TPA firm in California worked until he was 93.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting,
1: but you're had, but that's okay.
0: Nice. So, are you originally from New York, Long Island area, or no, did you no, end up there?
1: I was in the military. I lived all over the world and just ended up here by accident.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I, I think that's interesting. You know, your practice, your firm is right there in the heart of, of Long Island, which um, I'm sure is, is unique. I don't think there's a lot of uh, TPAs around that area, even though there's a lot of businesses that probably need. Well, there are are
1: 291 firms that say they're TPA firms within 75 miles of Manhattan. Okay. I've only got eight competitors. Meaning
0: specialists that are only TPA.
1: Well, most TPAs don't have to know anything. They can hang out a shingle and say this is what they do.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating to me. That's, uh, That's kind of something that I've been trying to do better at helping advisors understand. Because when I jumped in... To the 40 k world i'd been an advisor 10 years and i still felt like i knew nothing like it took me a couple of years to really figure out what was going on and the tpa is such a critical part of an advisor's success I, I really believe that i'm a huge fan of tpas and this big push to go bundled was something that I, I got caught up in early on in my career because i didn't get it i had it didn't click so that's why i wanted to get to the bottom of it with you is like what What makes a TPA different from another? What really makes them stand out and and how do you select uh, the right TPA as an advisor?
1: And that's that's a very good question because the the civilians have no idea and the civilians are actually anybody outside of the TPA world, inclusive of the FAs who work in the space. Mm -hmm. So when we look at a lot of places, if somebody has been around for a long time, the first thing that most uh, financial advisors look for that are not experienced is cost. They are always leading with price because they have no personal value. So I'm gonna bring you the cheapest TPA and save you a few dollars there. Or they're gonna bring TPA who doesn't care and they're manipulated by the financial advisor because they're seduced by that relationship. You know, I want you to send me your business, so I'm gonna do whatever you ask me to do. So we see a lot of garbage. It's true. But, yeah. But and and the, civilian, the civilian doesn't know that.
0: It's, yeah, I agree.
1: So the the difference
0: of a few hundred bucks, you know, can mean the world. Like, that's the oh, part it's, that it's I've heard over the it's years. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You know,
1: I'm looking at a case now. One of the insurance companies said, oh, we're going to do, you know, we're going to, we, we have a free 401k package. Nobody likes you that much. <laughs> I'm going to take on the liability, do the work, and I'm going to do it for free because, well, you know, you're, you're adorable. That's not happening. But yet, yeah, nothing's free. Nobody seems to ask that question is, how are people getting paid? And when you look at, and again, we don't sell product. We're not producing TPA. So when you look at the internal expenses, and I, and I had this conversation with a client yesterday. I said, you're going to have to stand there at the Labor Department, audit you. And with a straight face, say, I really thought they liked me this much. Because when you realize that 20% of the money had to be in that particular company's target date funds, why? Well, this is how they're getting paid. And that's okay. But the client's supposed to understand that.
0: Yep. Yeah. Transparency and understanding is so critical. And yet, we think we've come a long ways, but I, I really think we've got a long way still to go to where the end consumer really gets it and sees, because I hear that all the time. Hey, my plan's free, it doesn't cost anything.
1: And In all of this consolidation, I mean, this whole race to the bottom between MEPS and PEPS and PEOs and ASOs and it's like, who cares? You're calling that 1-800-BITE-ME-NUMBER. <laughs> California, they're more polite, it's 1-800-GO-AWAY. Um, you get this level three snuffy answering the phone. They have four and a half hours of training in their flashcards. And that's the gatekeeper for, I don't know how many trillions of dollars of 401k money. And their job is to make sure you don't go any further. Right. So many of these big box places, there's not a phone number anywhere at their website. You have to send them an email for them to maybe call you back and maybe you'll you'll remember what the question was three days later. or we're gonna take people out of the equation completely. And you're gonna do it yourself. So we have one client that we're taking over right now that was with one of the uh, providers where it was a la carte on the menu. He never checked the box to tell them that he wanted them to do the 5,500. Their TPA for nine years on this plan, there's no 5,500 done. Let's see. Says, uh, how and so, to check the box yeah the second one we have sitting here he never checked the box and said he wanted an adp test done so the plan hasn't been tested for four years he saw it was a 350 dollars charge he didn't want to do it so he didn't check the box
0: yeah it's unfortunate i mean that's and that's the scary part of this business is that the end company paying for these services, thinks they're hiring someone to look out for them. Well,
1: a lot and, of a brands. They follow that brand. Yeah. And, and there are some very big brands that have excellent investments, but they are really horrible at the TPA side. Yeah. Oh, I know. And in many cases, the FA hands it off to the big box and assumes it's being done right and stays out of it. And that's a disconnect. Right, client doesn't know what questions to ask.
0: Yeah, and that's that's I guess where I'd like to get your thoughts on and how to better, how do we, how do we get more training in the in the whole industry? Because when I jumped in, my training came from wholesalers, which was a terrible terrible thing to do, and I, I had luckily a couple of decent ones, but those good ones. They weren't from record keepers. They're from a TPA. And and luckily for me, they, they taught me some stuff that even though they probably weren't getting all the deals sent to them, like and now I'm very loyal to those two that were very supportive of me, but they, they looked out for me, not just for them, which is very rare in the industry. So how do we change that? Does it come, do you think, from training wholesalers better? Does it come from like a different associations, like how do we do, how do we make a change on that? You
1: know, I think it's sort of a team approach with everybody because the, uh, the BDs and the wires have to do a better job of, of educating their, their FAs. Mm-hmm. I think the, uh, the wholesalers to a, to a large extent are pretty well educated, but not as much as they should be in the aggregate. You know, they think it's, you know, again, they're selling stuff. They're a volume business and they are a low margin volume business. They have to sell a lot of stuff. And so they're gonna do stuff that they, you know, sometimes it's questionable. We looked at a case today where the client really has 140 people in there and they have 5.3 million dollars. Well, the proposal on a change from one one uh, record keeper to another showed six million dollars in a hundred people why do you get the average account balance up to get the fees down it showed a million dollars in the fixed account when there's only really three hundred thousand dollars in the fixed account and the fees are really much more attractive than they would be if the fact patterns were the same and the fa didn't understand what was going on here and that's that was just a bad wholesaler yeah Again, I don't care. I'm not getting paid by the assets.
0: Right, right. And that's that's something that I, I battle with, with, with record keepers, right? I, I see, you know, some of them moving to the flat fee. Some of them will do both. Some are sticking with the asset-based fee and they're fighting this whole, I think, discussion around they're a commodity. And in a lot of ways... I think the record keeping piece is, I think it's more of a commodity than the, than the administration by far, because your job as a TPA is to understand the client's situation and goals and know how to not only figure out the plan design, but to, to keep them on track with that design and, and make sure that all the numbers line up with, with what they're, they said they're gonna do. And so um, to me, there needs to be more upside for what you do versus what the record keepers providing. That's, that's oh, my no, opinion, little- what do you think?
1: I am a little cynical in it. I, you know, I, I think that certain things are commodities in the business. Clearly, the, the assets are a commodity. Record keeping is a commodity. Now, some record keeping is going to be more expensive than others because the website is more robust, and they spend a little more money on technology or security. Um, or it's just easier to use. Those things, those those refinements, cost money. But record keeping should be somewhere around a base of, I don't know, $1,500 to $2,000 and a per participant charge based on the side of the plan from maybe 70 down to 50 That's probably a real intrinsic cost of record keeping. Um, and years ago, probably about 10 years ago, I think it was American Funds and Oppenheimer and John Hancock were the first ones to actually segregate record keeping and push it out there and say, This is the cost of record keeping and this is our mission to do this plan. And everybody else who hid those fees went, how did you do that? Well, that was the first attempt at transparency. Right. Okay. So when you get these firms that are charging asset charges, asset based charges on record keeping, it makes no sense to me. Because if you're record keeping my account with a million dollars versus one of my employees accounts of $10,000, it's the exact same amount of work electronically to record keep those two accounts. Yeah. So why am I paying an asset charge on that?
0: Right. Yeah, I totally agree. That's, that's a very valid point that I've brought up many times and I'm dealing with a lot of physician groups. That's kind of my niche in my book of businesses. I'm dealing with these high asset, low headcount accounts and yeah, asset-based fees are, are the worst for them. So um So I think the fundraiser
1: is not a commodity. I think the TPA is not a commodity. But in terms of the record keepers and the people selling product, all that product is a commodity. So really, it comes down to what service are you getting? Where is your value from what you're buying?
0: Yeah.
1: And sometimes the value is, is the right record keeper is going to make the FAs life easier. I know in my world, we have different pricing for different record keepers because some are just obnoxious to deal with. Yeah. And we're, got, we're looking at the amount of time it takes us to do a plan with certain record keepers versus others. Some make it easy, some make it horrible. Every plan will eventually have a problem. Somebody will transpose a number, payroll, us, Client, somebody will transpose a number someplace. Nothing balances at the end of the quarter. Who owns that problem with us to help us find it? Right. Yeah. Because I gravitate towards. You know, we have a a bunch of bumper stickers in our office. You know, bumper sticker quotes. Every 401k plan has at least one female participant married to the world's greatest investment jerk. (laughs) Make your life miserable. because the account is about $32, and nobody knows where it is. Yeah. I need, I need a record keeper to participate with me at that point.
0: Yeah, and you were doing this before, before the big record keeping became a, you know, a standard thing, right? When it was just brokerage accounts.
1: With... I mean, we put in 401k plans literally in 1979.
0: <laughs> What, I mean, what was that like? Were you just basically getting mail sent in each well, we quarter, each month? Clients,
1: well, at the time, there was no ADP test the first couple of years. We always call our clients up and say, you know, you could put away another $7,500 for yourself this year if you want to do this 401k thing. <laughs> wow. client, sure, I don't have to give my employees any more money. I'm there.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, this was even before old, old comparability, never mind new comparability. This was just, we had integrated allocations, and here was another 7500 bucks.
0: Yeah. Does it seem like we've had a, it seems like we've had a lot of new regulations coming out. Um, obviously, COVID kind of caused some extra ones, but do you feel like that the extra regulations and things have all been, is that a positive thing? Or do you think it's, it's making it way more complex than maybe it should be?
1: Some of it's, you know, it's like everything else. There's good and bad with all of it?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I I appreciate the desire to protect the participant, but the lawsuits are out of hand because nobody's getting anything out of it except the lawyers. Nobody gives a rat's ass about the last 10 basis points because nobody even knows what 10 basis points are, including the FAs I deal with. (laughs) Yeah. They just don't. And that's not anybody's focus, but that's the only question anybody knows to focus on. But eventually, you know, why did I pick a particular fund line up in my account? Because my FA sat down with me and said, this is the best mix for your demographics or your employees. So do I buy the cheapest fund or do I buy the fund that's going to give me the best value in my opinion as the plan trustee? And so you start seeing these lawsuits about record-keeping fees, we're back to, well, record-keeping is not necessarily 25 bucks a head because the plan is large if I'm not getting the service that I'm supposed to get from the record keeper. but the focus is never on value or service. So the laws are cumbersome. Yeah. We get you know that the IRS and Treasury, which are really two different departments for different agendas. And then you get the PBGC and then you get the DOL and they're writing regulations inside a vacuum. They don't yeah. care what the three agencies are doing.
0: That's, that's the feeling I get as well. Is they're not in, living in the real world with some of the things that they're looking at. And I hear that even from different wholesalers and different people in the industry. Have they ever actually ran a payroll for a 401k plan? No, they don't even... Some things they say, I'm just thinking, do you, have you ever sat down and done this yourself? <laughs> because that's when you really learn, when you become well, a business owner.
1: Well, one of the things I tell my staff all the time, and there's a few things that we do that I think is a little unusual for, from a staff perspective, but we will sit down when new regulations come out, and pre-COVID, we'd send every so often have three or four people sitting in the conference room, and we'd read reg- new regulations out loud, because your ears will catch stuff that the eyes don't. And sometimes it's that, where is the punctuation? Where is the vocal inflection? And it gives different meaning to, to the words. Mm-hmm. There is people who write rules do not administer plans, don't understand tax, and really don't understand the math. They just don't understand the math and, and what they're asking people to do.
0: Yeah, and, and as I've been more supportive of TPAs, the further I get in my career, I, it's funny. I'm very, I like what they do. I'm very, I rely on them a ton in my book of business, but I also find that because of the regulations and because of lawsuits, they're caught in this storm of everything has to be custom and everything is just way more complex than, than it should be. Because when I look at it from the business owner's perspective, they just want a 401k. Like they don't, when they open the the Pandora's box of now I want to a 401k and they realize it's not just like, add one to my company, it's a very long and lengthy discussion. It it almost overwhelms them initially. I just got a call today from a a new um, opportunity. It's this 160 person group has no plan in place. And I don't think they realize what they're about to get into from a plan design standpoint and discussion around what they're going to do. You know, it's, it's a lot more in depth than they think. So there's like this piece of me that wants to see it be simplified, but then I also value The real um, expertise that has to come from someone on the TPA level. So uh, it's fascinating to see to see what's going on this
1: whole hierarchy. You know, in this in this whole race to the bottom, you've got I've got a computer and a piece of software. Then I have a computer with some artificial intelligence and a piece of software.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Now, artificial intelligence will never replace real stupidity. So whoever is putting data in or manipulating that data at the other end, it doesn't matter how smart the software is. Then you've got really robust computers with really good artificial intelligence. And you've got somebody with as a human being at the other end, asking your questions. If you understand what questions to ask. Right. It just keeps going up the hierarchy of high, high criteria. You get firms like ours where everybody is credentialed, including the support staff. The administrators do 70 hours a year CE. That's what I require. Receipt certified. We've got 12 treasury designations in the office, people that are enrolled at some level or another. This is who we are, but we're competing with the guy with a piece of software working out of his garage. And there's everything in between. Right. It's tough to know. There's an enormous amount of stuff to know.
0: Yeah. There, there's and so much. It's, it's mind-blowing how much is you have to know.
1: And I tell people, I don't care about the employees. It's the same. Uh, am I still there? It looks like you, my- Yeah, you're head.
0: here. You, I lost you for a second, you're back.
1: Okay. Yeah. The, um, you know, if we liked all employees the same, they'd all getting, be getting paid the same. And the pension plan is really deferred comp. It's qualified deferred compensation. It's part of the compensation package. So I don't necessarily have to treat them all the same because they're not all the same. At least not in my value proposition when I'm talking to owners. Right. Now the interesting thing is, is two of our record keepers did studies and said the plans that we administer in our general area have average account balances that are about 40% higher than, than some of the other TPA firms. And it's purely comes down to plan design. Right. Because if the plan works for the business owner, they put more money in the plan.
0: Yeah, no, I, that's so true. And, and that's the, the design changes over time. That's what I'm constantly trying to teach, either advisors and and probably every 18 and
1: sponsors, eighteen to twenty four months. Yeah, what I know absolutely is true. Is next year your cash flow is going to be different? The tax laws are going to be different. Your demographics are going to be different. One of those three things is going to change, if not all three.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a definitely a fluid movement. That's why co- making sure you have a solid administration team, TPA team behind you in the very beginning can be critical. It is critical, but a lot of people are going to this new, you know, this low-cost bundled solutions. And we're still the top of the most plans sold is still paychecks and ADP, right? That's the, the part I'm trying to wrap my head around. What what is what is going on over there? Is it purely just sales training? Because most of the most successful people I know in this industry They started at Paychecks or ADP. I
1: I constantly find that. Those people have excellent sales training, no technical skills, but excellent sales training.
0: Right, right. They're selling stuff, but they never stay there. And they don't keep all the plans, and they're not the leader in the plans, but like they're doing something right, at least getting the deal done. So, how do we take what's good there and and add some better plan design and, and long term thinking and patience? to that process so that we can prevent some of these lawsuits and other problems that we're seeing and more regulation. I, I feel like that's a, that's a real core thing we need to, as an industry, start to figure out.
1: In my office, her, she's come up with this whole thing of unbundled as the new black. So <laughs> it is unbundled, bundled. We have a relationship with a couple of different payroll providers, two or three of our preferred uh, record keepers and a handful of advisors and an outsourced HR company. It's a de facto PEO without being a PEO, which can unwind either any part at any time because it's not a single uh, silo for people. Mm-hmm. And people come in and take what they want out of that arrangement. But it's, it's fairly seamless for us to work together because we've gotten very comfortable in that space. And it's just simply a way to plug and play the pieces that the client needs. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. But, uh, you know, we try to also talk, talk to people about the high cost of low price. You know, if I have to subsidize payroll because I've got your 401k, well, we'll forget the triple case that says you're not supposed to do that. That's a whole fiduciary issue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you're back to those kinds of educational components with clients. Now, at this point, their eyes completely glaze over. Yeah, but there are people who care about it.
0: Yeah, there's definitely um, a level of experience the different HR people, or payroll people go through where they they learn the high cost of low of low cost solutions, right? And and those are the people that I like to work with because they've they've seen the problems firsthand. They've been in it, and we're I think we're constantly overlooking this. The data, like you said, bedded in, is not gonna help anybody. But what's our solution to, to create a PEP? Like, I, I, don't, I just don't see that being um, the thing that's, that's gonna to even touch that problem of, of you every two weeks. Someone's putting numbers in, in a system, paying people.
1: There's a lot of business out there. You know, if, if, I, if I get one tenth of 1% of the business in the metropolitan area, I'm gonna be very, very wealthy. You know, I, how much do you need? How much can you support properly? That's a better question. Yeah. We have turned away business at certain times because our staff was stressed and it just, we wouldn't be able to service it properly. So we didn't take it in.
0: Uh, I've found that a couple of times with different TPAs. I've had that happen. And I think that is really um, a bold move to turn away business because you want to take care of the, the clients you already have. And you don't see that in a lot of industries. So I, 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 I have been impressed by that.
1: In our shop, the, the, the client's not always right. My employees are right. Yeah. But if my employees are happy and they're rested and they're treated well, it generates into a, it, it translates into a better client experience. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, so we've got to a permanent four day work week. This is open 5 days but the employees work 4 because i really do believe in that work life balance
0: so i'm getting the the feel so you've got some pretty pretty strict i mean things that have driven your culture to be such a, such a successful tpa for you know over 40 years you know you've got your requiring credentials and and continuous continuing education um and even the 4 day work week like it sounds to me like you've you figured things out in a way that, that most businesses don't, they don't do, I don't think a similar approach. They just look at what their competition is doing and kind of copy. That's, I think that's been, has that, obviously it's worked out well for you. It's worked um, out well.
1: You know, and we have a very cool group of people at the office. You know, we've got an array of personalities like most PPA firms have. <laughs> um, I well, try not to make, as much fun of my employees as I used to. HR.
0: <laughs> what what are your thoughts? I mean, we've seen a lot of, um, you know, mergers, acquisitions, things going on in the record keeping space with the big one with Mass Mutual and Power. But what I mentioned in a a post um, that John Sullivan over at 401k Specialist was talking about, you know, what's the next big one we're going to see? And I said. I'm, in, I'm really kind of watching what's, what a census is doing with future plan. I mean, they're gobbling up TPAs all over the country. No one's talking about that. Like, what are your thoughts on that, that kind of uh, that move that they're making?
1: I don't know. Still 57 different companies with, with the same, same business card.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, the integration is not there yet. I don't know if it ever will be. Um, I, I don't
1: know. And, and again, where, where is the efficiency?
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I, don't, I don't know where the efficiencies are in that. I mean, they have some excellent firms that they have acquired. They have, you know, really a strong uh, actuarial presence in Kravitz. You know, so there's a lot of very positive components to it. Mm-hmm. But every so often when I'm dealing with clients, there's, there's just a disjointed kind of a feeling and that could just be purely from size that how, how do you get it together?
0: Yeah. Uh, that's what I've noticed. And I've been really pretty loud about it over there with the census and saying, uh, we got to figure this out because I do a lot of cash balance plans and, um, in the physician space. And so I've got a mix of those and, and their pricing works really well for that niche for me. And so some of the, I think the communication I've been hoping to see there, so we'll see where it goes, but I think it's, uh, kind of a secret move going on behind the scenes that I don't think most people are paying attention to. Well,
1: eventually at some point, you run out of zero to go to. You're not going to start doing negative. You know, this is not going to become like a mortgage in Sweden where the bank is paying you to take money. That's not going to happen here. Yeah. And eventually there's going to be some companies that are publicly owned that have to answer the stockholders because when you get that big, you're going to have public entity issues. Mm Mm-hmm and you got to show a real profit. Yeah. People still cost what they cost. And technology is going to be the same for almost everybody. So the difference is, is the quality of the people. Ultimately, it's gonna come down to the quality of the people and how much money you spend to train them and how much time you give them to be trained. So in the last two years, I've hired three people from other firms, all of whom have over 20 years experience And they walked in the door and I said, you've got 18 to 24 months to get a credential because they didn't have one. How are you in this business for 20 years and not have a credential? And I'm not hung up on the credential per se, but when you go through that process, you discover the things that you don't know. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. People knew nothing about control groups or affiliated service groups. You know, so... You find those things out while you're going through that process. You learn. It. And then the robust nature of continuing education that, that we force keeps it fresh in everybody's mind. Yeah, I, that's really it. good. We have some, our client base is very diverse. We've got a bunch of, of uh, entertainment types. We've got about 300 medical practices, pretty well divided between medicine and dentistry. We've got international manufacturing firms. Um, so I am licensed now in the UK. Oh,
0: wow. So what's, that, what's that like? I mean, oh, they have obnoxious. a much different system, right? So.
1: It's obnoxious. <laughs> but, you know, we had so many clients that were UK based where we're dealing with their subsidiaries here and their citizens are going back and forth. And the first thing that really affected us was about three years ago, we realized our cybersecurity was dirt in comparison to what the EU required.
0: Because
1: hmm. their standards are horrific. good for the client, horrifically expensive to maintain.
0: Yeah, as far as data back and forth? Yeah. Wow.
1: Um, yeah. And that was okay. You know, that put us ahead of the curve now for what we see going on with COVID virus. You know, everybody's attacking... Yeah, you know, the bad guys are coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's and only going to get harder and harder. So, to we're protect. very
1: comfortable in, in where we are with that. Mm-hmm. But when we're looking at clients in, I think we're in 29 states now in nine countries. And, you know, the clients have employees that are moving around from one jurisdiction to another. And they morph in and out of the system. And uh, it's just it keeps me interested.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, you've definitely uh, put a lot of effort into to continue to get better. Tell me what your thoughts are as far as like the next thing. I mean, obviously, everybody, top of everybody's minds is the PEPs, but like, what is something you wish this industry as a whole or even the, just the TPA industry would would figure out or would make everyone's lives better? Like, what what's the thing that just seems next to impossible that...
1: Well, you next to impossible possible there. is going to require some sort of licensing or credentialing for anybody to do this stuff. That's a very good you know, point, yeah. At, at a very minimum, require something. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we have so, a new client who's looking at a million dollars plus of excise taxes, and the guy that was doing his work had a, you know, an outsourced actuary, like 85 years old, and nobody has any EEO you know, coverage.
0: Yeah, so there's really no regulation. I mean, you don't have to report. I mean, the DOL and IRS are more mainly looking out for plan sponsors, but there's no one really watching TPAs as a whole. Like
1: nobody's watching it. And, no you know, it, as, as bad as a lot of the FAs are, and they're not all bad, but as bad as many of them are, they at yeah. least. Go take a test at one point and pass it. They have learned something. Yeah. And with any of the BDs or the wirehouses, somebody is watching them from a compliance perspective. And there, there's a little bit of checks and balances in almost every aspect of the retirement world, with the exception of the TPAs.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. I had never thought of that before. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it is sad, like, even as financial advisors, it's getting easier because we're now we're not in that broker dealer world. Because I had all my broker dealer stuff, you know, back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and I don't, I let them all drop off because I'm just with an RIA now. So I don't, I only use my 66. But even then, a 401k is like one, two pages maybe of what I had to study, right? You don't even get into plan design at all or anything like that.
1: Um, when you start looking at, you know, when you think about the regulation in four hundred and one k space, and forget four hundred and one k, just look at pensions in general. Mm-hmm. It's like twenty five trillion dollars, twenty six trillion dollars in qualified money somewhere. It's all the cash that's in our society is sitting in these retirement plans, because that's what's funding the banks, and the brokers, brokerage houses, and driving the stock market. It's just all pension money being reinvested somewhere <laughs> and it's yeah. inside all of this 401k ERISA world whether it's an IRA or a SEP or some it's somewhere between 400 and 436 of the code 401 to 436 of the code it's all that's where it's sitting the majority of the value of, of any tangible dollar in the United States that's where it is yeah regulated So why do we let amateurs touch it?
0: <laughs> that is an amazing question.
1: <laughs> and yeah. what's coming, so when you wanna talk about MEPS and PEPS and all of that, it's not my marketplace. Um, personally, I'm a cynic. I think there's just another money grab and it's another way to hide fees. I, I think it's gonna become very sticky and more cumbersome for the client to leave. Um, so that's the first part. The second part is we're gonna have state plans in, in larger quantity. I just love that Illinois is actually exploring the fact that they're gonna use Illinois state bonds to fund your mandated 401 k plan on the private sector so you can fund the public sector's plans that are totally underfunded. Um, that makes great sense to me. Um, you know, I really want California who's $1.2 trillion underwater to manage my 401k plan? Why would I want that?
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's, uh, that's quite good a nightmare
1: part. right now. It creates awareness. That's the good news. It's going to create a lot of awareness and business owners are going to say, I don't want that crap. And then they're going to come to people like us.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's what's so, been, I think a big opportunity for the right people that go at this, this Cal Savers thing from the right angle. Um, it's whether or not the business owners will take the time to really wrap their head around it and, and actually look at the numbers because-
1: and In the aggregate, it's going to be, from a societal perspective, even if it's a really bad 401k plan for the employees, it's a plan. It's more than they had. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna be okay. And eventually people will walk out of that into something that's more cost effective or better run.
0: Yeah. So yeah. That it, it drives awareness to the problem and that's good.
1: Um, um, one of the regulations I think we're going to get is they're going to require us to show the annuitization value of a long sum out of a DC plan. Now prior to 1984, we had to do that. So in the lump sum, we had to give them all their different annuity options and that went away in 84. Were you born yet? No.
0: <laughs> I was born in 82. I was around.
1: <laughs> I didn't have a plan yet. <laughs> uh, you know, the problem is, is people are As a in Society, we're far more enumerate than we are illiterate. And if somebody comes out of their 401k plan and they think, oh, I've got a hundred thousand dollars. I'm good they have no idea how long that money's not going to last them. And the annuitization demonstration, I think is a powerful tool, depressing for some cases, but it's powerful because it's an awareness again. Yeah,
0: yeah, it it puts them in the right mindset, right? Because that's how everyone thinks month to month. But I, I was going through this with a record keeper yesterday they were trying to build that out on their platform and, and showing the number they had to have to live off a certain dollar amount. And it was a lot of times just a crazy number that uh, to me, it does the opposite effect when I sit down with a 22 year old or 21 year old. Oh, I got to have this much money. They, they just almost like give up before they even started trying. It's well, just that. interesting. It's the,
1: the problem. You know, and, and, and One of the stories I was telling actually I was telling someone this morning about this one of our one of our new celebrity clients is a reality TV person. And she's like twenty-three years old. And she says, Can I put in a defined benefit plan? Yeah, sure. You're not gonna put (laughs) you know. You're twenty three years old. She says, But if I do that, because I described we went through the four oh one K thing with her. She says I said, you know, this is going to fall off. We're going to fund this for five or six years, and you're going to run out of room just because you're at a runway at your age. She said, yeah, but how long do you think this reality TV gig's going to last? Well, maybe not the five years. Fine, let's do it. Because in her calculation, she says, this will give me like $4.5 million by the time I'm 64. Unusual. Yeah. One is it thinks that far ahead like that, but they're not there, but a lot of it's education.
0: So in, the, in those settings, uh, that's, I've never really dealt with a plan like that. So someone like, like a celebrity of some kind that has, do they get paid 1099 and then you just set up a plan for them individually?
1: Depends on who they are and how they're getting paid. So Interesting. When we, Sorry, no. what were
0: you saying? You're, so it depends on how they're so, paid, right? Then you design the plan.
1: Okay, so, so the authors are easy. They're just individually paid. Um, the actors, most of them have what they call loan out corporations. So they don't get paid directly. They, get their, they, they have a corporation that gets paid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's rules that come into play to figure out where the guild plans because they are, part, still part of the Screen Actors Guild and they had part of that plan. And there are rules how do we count, recognize the value in, in the screen actors' plan versus their own plan, and there's a bit of an offset sometimes. Yeah, um, I mean each one is is different, but for the most part, they're getting paid to an entity of their own choosing. But the but the cash flow is wildly fluctuating from year to year. Right. And then, you know, you get a movie star; they make a couple of movies, or they have a really big hit movie. And, you know, maybe they'll have $5 million in a year. But then they may not have anything for the next three. So when you're setting up a cash balance plan, how do you manage that cash flow from one year to the next? Yeah. And that becomes sometimes a challenge.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that's yeah. like, that's a tough thing.
1: Wow. So, you know, and I, again, I don't want to bore you with some of the stuff that we try to do. But, um, well,
0: you know, and that goes back to one of the big things I always tell advisors is, and even wholesalers, like know who you want to help. Like stop defining your niche by the size of plan, like figure out what type of client, what industry, and go in on all that. Like become the person for that industry because you're going to, you're not only going to be an expert there, you're not going to waste your time trying to learn everything all the time and 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 muddy the waters. Like know your, know your space. So- I, I'm glad I know someone now that's in that space. I, I've always been curious how, uh, how well, that's you, done.
1: I'm sure you've seen Simon Sinek's know your why. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's, Sometimes you have to find what your why is. My why is to drag as many people to retirement as I can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want to get you there. And that just colors and colors all of the consulting that we do with people. So I will do 50 hours a year of accounting CE. I do 20 hours a year of legal CE because I want to know how to educate their other advisors. And more importantly, I want to understand what they're saying when you're talking and I don't have a Dakota ring. Right, right. That's, that's incredible, Oscar. You know, like 199A, sometimes our deductions worth a cents, and other times it's only worth 80 cents. So where do you want to push this money around to to maximize the efficiency of the plan.
0: Yeah, those are details that, that are always constantly moving and changing. So you, yeah, the amount of CE that you're still doing, that's Back crazy. When
1: COVID hit, I was on the phone without exaggeration, 60 hours a week for the first four weeks, calling every client. We froze all but four of our defined benefit plans. We suspended the Safe Harbor 401k for probably half of our 401ks. Wow. Because they hadn't funded 19 yet. They did all their tax planning based around coming into a phrase where they were going to have no money. And we could always unfreeze the cash balance plan by the end of the year. So my downside is you don't put away as much money this year. And unfreeze it. We can thaw it later. Yeah, that's smart. Okay. Eh, maybe you're going to fail ADP. We'll figure out a way to get you some money into the profit sharing side to make up the difference for you, but there's a certain amount of peace of mind, too, and the clients that didn't listen to us are now complaining and have no money. My business is still not open. What do I do? And this is emotional. We're dealing with people's, money's emotional. Absolutely. Money's emotional. And now I'm taking this lump of money, which is the largest lump of money almost everybody will ever have, and I envelope with a bunch of other bad emotions. Getting old, getting displaced, getting dead, getting divorced, getting disabled. This lump of money is in the middle of all of it. And nobody knows how to talk about it emotionally. And now I've got to take some of that money and I have to give it to them, those employee people, that I'm already overpaying. And that becomes the conversation we have with folks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah, of but that, I think that that shows, I mean, the proactive way that you did that, that's not, that's not common. I mean, I just don't, I don't know how many TPAs that are going to go to that length uh, and really make that effort because now the ones that didn't take your advice, at least you can say, we, we tried to tell you. And that's what's missing in a lot of relationships in this industry.
1: I mean, when we do a new defined benefit plan, regardless of the type of plan, we have like a 12-point bullet point kind of a document that they have to initial each line. It's like, I don't get to turn this on and off like a profit sharing plan. Right. If I freeze the plan, I may still have some obligation. Yeah. If I the plan, I may still have some obligation. And we go through that with each line and they initial each line. And whenever they say, you never told me, Yes, I did.
0: Yep. Yep. No, it's true. There's so much uh, that needs to be communicated and, and documented that more people have to have to have oh, a process in place. place.
1: People who have no plan documents. How does a TPA firm administer your plan when they don't have a signed document? What is- <laughs> <laughs> Scary. What are you administering? It's not a plan if I don't have a signed document.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's yeah, it's not good. Yeah. No. That's what we do. I love it. I love it, Ron. You're definitely uh, one of the most experienced people in this space. I I really thank you so much for spending time. Um, I've been impressed. I think uh, I'll have more questions for you. I, I definitely want to um, continue. We're trying to do more of growing our book of business to help more physicians. And so I'm in the Utah, Idaho market, but now with this, all stigma of gone things. of means i can get hey, out and see have, you
1: sometime we have a conversation offline on this cool stuff we're doing some of the doctor's practices there's a lot of opportunity uh,
0: i would love that yeah i that is that's my passion is helping physicians i know a lot of uh other advisors that have you know done really well they don't they don't they kind of don't like to do physician plans i run to that problem i love it i love that they're tough on me i love that they they question everything they read everything it's it's a fun niche to be in, but it's a hard one, but uh, I don't recommend it to everybody. Really? But
1: I, I found that those are the most appreciative clients at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, they are. Cause you, they know I'm putting the effort in and they know um, that I'm, yeah, there's, I'm looking at all the details because they're looking at them too. And there's no, you can't fake it through that. And that's the, that's where you see some success because you actually have results driven by people knowing what they're doing, not just assuming. So, Ah, let's talk more about that. I uh, I was supposed to be out there actually running the marathon in a couple months, but maybe next year I deferred it. So I
1: don't know I, I pay <laughs> other people to do that kind of stuff. All I do at this point is jog my memory.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I really appreciate. It. I'm glad we were able to connect. Let's. I'll keep in touch with you. I want to hear more about what you're doing, physicians. Um, I'm gonna just continue to try and make a movement in this industry, just like you've been doing for 40 plus years and um, love to learn from those that have really, I think, developed this industry to what it is. And you're definitely one of those pioneers. So thank you so much, Ron, all you're doing and well, thank you for your time. appreciate you. Thanks, Ron. Yes,
1: take care. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope that you were able to take some things that we discussed Ron and I about the 401k industry, mostly about administration, and do something to improve your practice, improve your clients' outcomes, and just overall, just enjoy what you do. I want to remind you, the 401 Jake 401 Club bike cycling kit stores only open for a few more days. It ends, it closes on September 30th. I want you to get one of these kits, whether you just ride around the neighborhood or you Get out every single day on your bike, whatever it might be. You can always use a nice looking cycling kit and it will open up some doors. It'll create some conversations and you'll look good and you'll enjoy some time on your bike. Get out there and get it. Have a wonderful day wherever you are, whatever you're doing.